So this week's episode about oh shit. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that for an hour. I am having some stomach issues. Oh, you always are. Have you tried? Have you tried Greek yogurt? Roll credits. <laughs> All right, welcome to Bonehead. I'm Joe Lewis. Is, wait, are we starting over? Or what are well, we doing? I just started. What? The cat finally left. No, there it is. Oh, well, it came back no. the very next day. It just wouldn't stay away. Anyway, so this is Bonehead. We sit around and talk about things. Roll credits. Mm. I don't know when we're rolling credits. <laughs> I'm just going to... It would be funny if we this rolled like be... three different credit now people just You know who busy. I don't want to roll? Roll tide. Screw you, Alabama. Except for our viewers in Alabama, if we have any your listeners. Go tide. Roll tide. <laughs> Thank you, mouth breathers. Why is your mascot an elephant and you go by roll tide? I don't know. Is that true? It's Crimson Tide and it's an elephant. Mm. None That's of this a good Have you ever seen that movie with Denzel? Uh, Crimson Tide. Oh, you ever use any of that uh, Tide that comes in the orange bottle? His clothes clean. <laughs> that's not crimson. That's orange. Well, actually, it's not orange. It's blue, but it comes in an orange bottle. Oh, Why do they do that? Lord, what is the topic of today's show? I don't know either. The topic of today's show, all just aside, is Harlan Allison. We finally do one episode about a writer I care about, and why do we have to do it, Joe? Because he's dead! Dead or in hell! I could have done that. You didn't ask me. I knew you could do it. I was trying to give Joe a role in this. Uh, yeah! Why? Dead! Dead, bitch! Dead. He's dead! Daddy's dead! Daddy's dead. Yes, dead! Thank you. That would be for Dale Earnhardt fans. Yeah, fans. yeah. So, we have a lot to talk about. Harlan not only was... He was one of my favorite writers, too. And I I knew who he was before I met James Thomas. But James Thomas made him <laughs> even more special. But it endeared him to me even more. And I, I he, just, he just wrote so many things that just ended up influencing so many other things. And he has such handprints on pop culture that I don't think a lot of people know. Well, and I was about to say, and, and to get to that point. And then he's also an asshole. Well, well huge jerk. But it's a huge jerk. At many times, many times for good purpose, and that's what I want to. If you've never read any Harlan mm. Ellison, all that stuff, he's questioning the purpose. I don't know about good purpose, but go on, James. We'll talk about it. You you don't believe marching with Martin Luther King? Oh was a no, good you're purpose? not going to bring. Oh my God, you bigot! Uh, okay, I got you there. Uh, he marched with Martin Luther King. Uh, one he, of the things that he is famous for. Um, you have to read it. Obviously, you're no, not a real no. fan. I'm going to punch you. Dangerous Visions, he edited And one of his big complaints was there was no science fiction about yes, Bill. minorities, written by minorities, or anything that he felt was dangerous, which is why he did Dangerous Visions, and he used his clout to get all these authors who were writing... Um, what he called speculative fiction about gay characters, about minorities, about all that stuff. And he did it uh, in 1968 what? when it was not exactly the best time to be doing that. Didn't he also, um, did he march on, was Sel on Selma too? Yes. So, yeah, he... He, he also marched for migrant, um, for mi Mexican migrant workers, right? He marched for migrant... He, he helped do strikes mm -hmm. for um, writers and actors and anytime he felt that systems were taking advantage of people. Now, he did... Um, 
not have a filter? No. In um, any way, shape, or form. Uh, and I think that's that's one of the reasons I liked him because often he said what I couldn't, or I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to say at the time. Um, at but, the time. <laughs> but to that point, his intelligence has grown so much over the years. Uh, to You're that, supposed to help me out here. I'll get there. <laughs> to that point, he was literally until he died. Now he's no longer the most award-winning author. But he was considered the most award-winning author, living author, until he passed away. Uh, he's no longer obviously living. When did so he, he die? Title. Um, he died about two weeks ago. What? This episode's so, just now coming out. Yes, Why did it take yes. you two weeks to talk about your love um, life? I, it, it, I had to get to a place where I could talk about it. Thanks for bringing up my suffering. Um, it's okay. But to give you kind of a, a, a Hugo a Award, which is given to science fiction. Do they give him um, suits? Hugo Boss? No, it's named after um, Hugo Strange. your mother. Uh, <laughs> Name you know. after that guy off of Lost. Yeah, that's that's it. Or uh, Hugo Weaving. <gasps> oh my God, I love the Matrix. It, I don't like, bet you he didn't. I bet you Harlan hated the Matrix. You know, Harlan know. hated Star Wars. He hated he Star Wars. Oddly enough, Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back. Hated Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Why did he hate Close Encounters? Because it was a ripoff of um, Etu Verata Nikto. Gort. Oh, uh, the day the earth stood still. He said it's a. An exi- he said it was a ripoff of the day. It's the exact same story. Is it? That's uh, what he says. Oddly enough, I don't know that I agree with that. Oddly enough, I've never heard that before. I have lots of Harlan stuff to talk about. Chad's been watching. I've been he watching, hasn't told you, but he's been no, watching for two days. No, James knows. I've been oh, talking well, about. Well, you all don't ever talk to me. And, and this is why James, Haley. Why don't you talk to and me? And this is why James is going to be the expert because every She's time I find at me. The, the cat uh, outside screaming talks to me more. This is why this is going to be a James heavy episode because every time I found something that I thought was amazing, James like, yeah, I heard about it, and I'm like, you're ruining my passions. Well, dude, this is what I did. Oh, my did. God. Did you it watch was... that show? <laughs> yeah, was Passions. was soap opera. I uh, know. Oh, what happened to that? Shadows. Uh, that and Santa Barbara. Oh. Mm, Santa anyway, Barbara. Um, Hugo Awards were for science fiction, speculative fiction. He Named after Hugo Weaving. Uh, he won eight and a half of them, famously half, because... A boy and his dog. A boy and his dog, when it got adapted to a film... They gave L.Q. Jones the award, and Ron Lawson said, and let me quote, What the hell? I wrote it. That's my award. And L.Q. Jones famously broke it in half and gave him half of it. He got the base that actually said, A Boy and His Dog. And so he is the only person to have eight and a half Hugos. Mm. Um... Three Nebula Awards. who had eight and a half, but that's all right. Let's not talk about fucking Fellini. Huh. Sorry, I didn't mean to drop the f bomb. No, no, that's fine. Uh, Haley, cut know. me out and post. You want you want to do a show about <laughs> Fellini? <laughs> That'd be not a lot really. of film. Then shut the hell up. <laughs> anyway, um, what about get your eight and a half of my face? <laughs> one, almost, I'm joking. It's more like two and three quarters. One almost twenty locust um, awards. Uh, oh, do no. they eat themselves? Do they attack? <laughs> World Fantasy Award twice, British Science Fiction Award, Jupiter Awards, Saturn World? Awards. Saturn? So um, what other writers are on Saturn? The George, I'm going to screw this up. And Did he ever get an award me. from Uranus? The George Milius. <laughs> Uranus the, has been talking to me all night. The George Milius Fantasy Film Award. George uh, Milius, is that pronounced Milius? Uh, I mean John Milius, as in no, John George, Milius? as in the guy that, Earth to the Moon. I think it's George Milius, yes. Okay. Amelius. Uh, yeah. Uh, Asimov's Reader Poll Award he got. 
SF Chronicle Award, the Galleon Award uh, for Lifetime Achievement. <laughs> Did you pick up the Galleon of Milk? That <laughs> is just for science fiction. When it came to horror awards, he had four Stroke, Stoker Awards. Stroker. Ace? Um, Death Realm Award, the International Horror Critics uh, Award. He actually was recognized them as the first living legend in 1995. And then you get into his mystery awards for his writing mysteries. Uh, two Poe Awards, um, American Mystery Awards, and then he got awards for the Writers Guild. He got a video cassette when video cassette rentals just became big. Um, when Demon with a Glass Hand came out on VHS back in the day. The Outer Limits! It became one of the most rented VHS tapes, and they actually gave him the most memorable TV script award for that. Mm, I don't think that's Who a real award. Who gave him that award, though? The VHS company? Do you the, ever see that movie, The Last Movie Star, Burt Reynolds? Those folks. Okay. The Nova Award, the Penn International Silver Pen Award. Um, I don't think so. In other words, this man had no room on his shelf. The Milford Award, the National Women Committee. For the of Milk. <laughs> uh, the National Women's <laughs> Committee. Laugh, bitch! Award, the Spotlight Award, the Audi Award for, in 1999, for narration of City of Darkness. Um, and he also won Emmys. Mm. Uh, most notably, he won an Emmy for um, voicing the Mad Hatter in um, Alice in Wonderland, an audiobook. Uh, and then he also won a Grammy nomination for spoken word recording for his adaptation of his own work, Jeff T's Five. So we're talking Grammy award-winning horror. Do you mystery, win an Oscar? All of that stuff. Nobody made wrote a, movie a movie called, called the Oscar, Oscar about the Oscars that he himself hated. Yep. Um, and the story behind that we can get into later. But anyway, I just wanted to get it out. So if you've never heard of <laughs> Harlan Nelson. I don't think you should do that on this show. If you've never heard of Harlan Nelson, but you watched our three Stephen King episodes, or four, or however four, many, four, many god-awful abominations that we made, this will probably four. be the only one I get for Harlan. But, um, In Stephen, all fairness. Stephen King quoted uh, and did actually dance with Bobby <clears throat> talks about him. Neil Gaiman in his uh, A View from the Cheap Seats talks about Mm-hmm. Harlan. Did Harlan um, ever say anything about Stephen King? Just yes. out of curiosity. And yes, he did. Not, was not a fan. I'm going to guess. No, I don't actually, think. I don't think they uh, had a they got problem. Along. He uh, one of the uh, better Twilight Zone episodes is actually from the 80s. We I don't know how James wants to go about this. No, no, career. I mean, huh? You talking about Shatterday? No, not Shatterday is another good one. Power of the Lost Hour. It's not the one. It's about it's the grandmother, the boy and his grandmother. It's in the other room. Who's a witch? Uh, that's based on a Stephen King short story, actually, uh-huh. and he adapted it. So okay, yeah. Um, so where do we begin talking? Do we talk about? Do we start from the beginning? So how did you find out about Harlan Nelson? That's actually, and and I have it all oh these books God, on the it's table. Like I set him up, um, knock him down. That's right, bitch. This is approaching oblivion. If you ask Harlan Nelson fans to name their favorite book, I'm probably the only one that's going to go, "Oh my God, approaching oblivion." The reason it's my favorite, and this is a worn copy, I have a nice copy that somebody bought me that is an original first edition with the dust jacket on. It's cool. It's great. It's on the shelf. I like this one better. Um, because this has been Orange. worn and beat. Um, I've been worn and beat. Uh, Much like anybody who was around Harlan Ellison. Uh James has been beat by Harlan Ellison. Which we'll Ellison. get to that story. We'll get to I that have. story. Um, I'm sorry. But, Spoiler alert. But Harlan Ellison, uh, so this is how I discovered him. I was probably in, I think I was in middle school, about 12 years old. 12 years old. And, uh. I was 12 years old reading It. No, I, yeah, but that at least was pop. Yeah, Haley's all excited about It. Yeah. 
But 12 years old... Put your top um, back on, Haley. <laughs> nah, I'm joking. Leave it on. Uh, 12 years old, um, and I, somebody knew I liked science fiction, and I wasn't the most popular kid in my school, by <laughs> any means. No. Shocker, I know. Really? Uh, but I liked Edgar Allan Poe, but I had read just about Oddly everything enough, Edgar Allan Poe. Shocker, you Joe said. Joe at that age? Still a dick. Continue <laughs> on with your story. Yep. Um, uh, I like Star Trek. Um, Ellison did write an episode of Star Trek. Uh, but I went into my library. I was having a pretty crappy day uh, at the library at my middle school. And for some reason, and if you read this book, whoever thought, you know what that middle school library needs? This book. Uh, they... It was on the shelf. And somebody's like, oh, if you like science fiction, you really should read Harlan Ellison. Who said it to you? It was a librarian. Mm, um, who I'm sure, witch. quite frankly, probably has passed away by now. If not, I'm sorry. If you're watching this, subscribe. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you insensitive bitch. <laughs> but. Oh, he knocked it over. Just kick one over whatever you want. <laughs> Watch my ass um, bobblehead. Anyway. Uh, and I read this, and, and I was 12, and usually 12-year-olds don't read the introduction. But for some reason on this one, I did. And it stuck with me. And it, it, it literally, that, that was when I became a Harlan Ellison fan. Just the introduction itself. Um, this is not one of his better-known collection. Uh, the stories that it contain aren't the ones that most people know. Um, the, the full title of the book is um, Approaching Obliv Oblivion, uh, Road Signs. On the Treadmill Toward Tomorrow. Uh, it introduced by Michael Crichton. And Michael Crichton, to tell you what sort of person... Is it Crichton or Crichton? Crichton, I always pronounce it Crichton. What, however it's pronounced, doesn't matter. It, Who it, is this Crichton you speak of? He, this, wrote, he wrote ER. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, something about dinosaurs. <laughs> Didn't do and, anything uh, else about any just, just Jurassic dino World. Dinosaurs at King's parts. Island or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I didn't watch it. Westworld. Um, you know, he ripped himself off. The great, the great. Um, so Michael Crichton, Jurassic World, Jurassic Park, Park. Jurassic Park. Oh my God, uh, Eaters World. of the Dead, Disclosure, Westworld. the Great Train Robbery, Westworld, Westworld, uh, the Andromeda Strain. The man's wrote a ton of great books. And, and I'll just be. I want to read the beginning of his introduction because he did the Good introduction for, for this in 1974. Ooh, is when this book came out. One more, The Terminal Man great book so i i read this i've read this see i was 12 so it would have been 1992 this book came out in 74 i'm reading it 18 years after the fact um but here's his introduction both are dead by the way yep them. yeah michael crichton didn't last as long as ellison no nope. no and michael crichton and he had infinitely more money unless he's got um there's some of him trapped in amber he's gone yeah yeah i mean we could he pretty could much you, could you imagine a park filled with michael Crichton? pretty much road? jurassic parked himself uh, <laughs> anyway this will tell you a <laughs> little <himself>. bit <laughs> this will tell you a little bit about how harlan Nelson was viewed in hollywood even in the 70s soon after i came to los angeles in 1970 i was called by a producer who offered me a job writing a science fiction screenplay I was tied up with a book at the time. The producer asked me if I could suggest another writer for the project. What do you think the book used? I suggested Harlan Ellison. There was a long, chilly silence at the other end of the phone. Finally, the producer cleared his throat and said, Do you, uh, do you know Harlan Ellison? No, I said I didn't. I knew him only through his work. I had read some of his stories and seen some of his television script. Um, the producer said, Well, let me tell you something. And he launched into a short, energetic, and wholly unprintable description of his feelings on the subject of one Harlan Ellison. And that's how Harlan Ellison was viewed in the 70s. Um, there's a lot of weird it stuff about... It any better. There's a lot of stuff that was going on in the 70s with Ellison, though. It is true. Um, 
when Reagan was uh, governor of California, he wiretapped him. He thought he was, he uh, was a, a threat. He was a vehement... Uh, he hated Reagan. He hated Reagan. He, he, hated... Thought, he thought Reagan destroyed the education system in California. And he kind of did. And he kind of I mean, did. I mean, if you're an educational historian and you're wondering why so many students are drowning in student debt... It's Reagan. It's, it's Reagan. Reagan. It's Ronald Reagan. You can't... I mean, and I'm not saying I'm anti-Reagan no, on all things, but no. on education... Don't get me wrong. He had a lot of help, but it's spearheaded by Ronald Reagan. And if you don't like your HMO, blame Nixon. Yeah. Right? Um, and if you hate the EPA, you know who else you need to blame? Nixon. Keep going. Yep. So, a lot of the stuff that came out, but he was always a loud voice. Yes. Um, and he was always known for being... We talked about him marching... I mean, he marched with MLK. He did all of that stuff. He believes in equality to the fullest extent um, possible. Um, so he's great in that way. But that also meant that he got on a lot of people's radar in the 50s and 60s and 70s for being, quote-unquote, a communist, a socialist, of which I don't think he really fell into any of those because he was also a very good capitalist. Well, he's very much a capitalist. I think he was a capitalist before anything else. Just like, I would think that's... Something that he and the Boneheads probably have in common is that he's first a capitalist and everything else second, just like every other red-blooded American. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But I think you, if you also go back and the term know, the writer. Yeah. Going. If you know his history, it also makes sense. Hel Ellison uh, grew up in Painesville, Ohio, mm -hmm. as, as he puts it, the town Jew. Um, his father passed away very early in his life. And uh, that left a void that never got filled. Uh, he was known to run away from home, but he also, if you go and you read a lot of his fiction, you're going to find a, the name of a lot of the kids that bullied him because he always turned them into the villains of his books. Um, there was like one story where like the, the town bully came up and called him a, a, a derogatory term for a Jewish person that I won't say, and Harlan stood his ground, but Harlan... Harlan, got obliterated. Yeah, and, Harlan got beat up a lot. And that was one of the things that he he tells He's the story. He's a short man and a short child. He was yes. five foot five when he was grown. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he tells the story about going home after, maybe after that incident. And his mother's words to him were, because they didn't have a lot of money, mm -hmm. and his clothes were dirty and torn and all that stuff. And he said the thing that hurt him the most was she said, well, you must have said something to start it. Yeah. yeah. And he was Jewish. And the town, the kids especially, didn't understand that. And so Harlan Ellison was shaped largely by comic books and Robin Hood and the fiction of the day. And and one of the things that he says, one of his, the quotes that I love by him is, I always viewed myself as, uh, what is it, Zorro... Uh, and I forget the other name they use this. And he goes, the problem is everybody else viewed me as Porky Pig. Um, you know, somebody that they could just do whatever they wanted to. And so I think that, I mean, Harlan Ellison wrote a lot of fiction, but if you go back and think about his childhood, it wasn't easy, I'm sure, in the 1940s with everything that was going on in the world to be the one Jewish person in a rural town. In, in Ohio, Ohio, yeah. When you had people that were coming back, when you had people that were having all of these issues. So, I think a lot of Harlan Ellison's stories, I mean, he talks about reading very, very early on. And it was escapism. Mm -hmm. And he read comic books. As a matter of fact, uh, he talks about comic books he def he defended literally till the day he died, as much as he could. 
because anytime anybody would say anything bad about them, he would be like, no, this is this is of equal writing to anything else. It just depends on what you need at that time. Yeah. Well, and there's a story which was made into a very good, uh, the 80s Twilight Zone. I don't know where you want to go bounce back and forth. And oh, I think we have to bounce because I think... There's too much to cover, yeah, so yeah, I'm going to bounce a little bit to the 80s Twilight Zone. There was a revival... Of the and some of you, if you're of the right age, you may have watched it. I have, and if whole, you're of the younger age and you watched the other revival and with Forrest Whitaker, not as good. No, but I mean that was another one that was done yeah. in the late nineties, early two thousands, two thousands. Yeah. Uh, so back to the Twilight Zone. It was produced by oh god, I can't, Phil Dwyer. Phil Dwyer uh, was famous for producing a show called Simon and Simon. Some of you are going to be too young; you're not going to know what that is, but. He went on to do The Twilight Zone, which is a revival. CBS had huge plans for it. They put a ton of money behind it. They got basically control of everything they want to do. So if you're of a right age, you go, well, a lot of those suck. What it is is you're not remembering. I'll tell you a little bit of the story. You're remembering the ones that were shot in Canada later to fill a contract. So what happened was is they did a years-long season, basically, and they could do them any length they wanted to do, so they just fill an hour of difference. So they could have one that was 30, 45 minutes long, one that was 10 minutes long. Different directors, Wes Craven directed a lot of them. If you're a Tommy Lee Wallace fan, uh, Halloween 3, uh, uh, It, he directed several of them. Or um, actually, William Freakin directed the most powerful, or more, maybe the, one, the most terrifying one, and uh, who directed The Exorcist. They were all set up. Bruce Willis is in one. He's in the one Shatterday, which is based mm-hmm. on one of Harlan Ellison's famous stories. So they shot, basically got a year's season. They finally released it. When first one went out, great. Second one out, then they moved the time slot. And that one thing that they requested it was that the show be on at 10 o'clock at night. Well, they premiered it at when? 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Have you watched any of them? Have you watched any of them lately? Not lately. Even for the 80s. Some of them are, I don't know that you'd want them on at 8 p.m. I don't know that you and the rest of the family are ready to watch, oh, what's the William freaking one? It's called Nightcrawlers. And it's about a vet who has special powers from Vietnam and who's remembering this. I mean, it is violent. It is huge. And you're flipping in at the same time that Punky Brewster and Webster is on. That is not what you're flipping to with the rest of the family. That is not TGAF Friday. So... The producer, Phil DeGuire, said the third episode or fourth episode had Nightcrawlers, the frequent freaking one on it. They moved it again, and you watch that, and you go, oh, we're done. Yeah. Yep. All right? They f- ended up finishing it. Harlan was the story editor for the whole show, correct? Um, he Didn't he leave? He left after the first season because of a... They wanted him to edit something. I can't remember. It was somebody's script or something. He refused to do it. Which they, is, that goes along with his character we'll talk about. Yeah, he was making a lot of money, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a week. Because this, you had to remember, in the 80s, there were only three networks. Yeah. Right. And if you worked for one, Wes Craven, if you listen to the commentaries on some, if you haven't, Wes Craven was talking about, he'd already made Nightmare on M Street, he'd already made Swamp Thing. These are all low-budget films. He never really had a budget till he worked on Twilight Zone for CBS. Right. Yeah. Which was ma- amazing to me, going, oh my God, he made, made movies. Didn't have anywhere near the money or the resources that he did just working on the Twilight Zone for TV. And he was talking about how nice it was. So 
what happened was the CBS basically got another half season out of it and then yanked it. Well, they had contractually already set aside or they made contracts with all the uh, uh, for syndication. So they actually finished a whole other third season so they could get 100 or whatever episodes it is or whatever how many episodes they need. I don't think it was a full 100 so they could do syndication. They finished all the way in Canada later on, a couple of years later, I think in 89. And actually, JMS, uh, John Michael Straczynski, actually did a lot of those and wrote a lot of those. They didn't have anywhere near the money. They're basically 22, 24 minutes. Not as good. Yep. So, I forgot where I was going with all that. <laughs> well, I mean, Ellison was... Uh, that you had was... me captivated. So, <laughs> one of the best episodes is that is Paladin of the Lost Hour. No, yeah. uh... Jeff D is five? Which one is the one he goes back home to as a child? The, oh. Is it called Back Home? No. Damn. Oh, oh uh... Um, I know what it is. Oh, oh shit. Sorry. No, that's uh, not a name of an episode in the 80s. No, 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 no. Surrounded by blah, blah, blah. It's one of those titles. Yeah, it's... Thank God he was good at titles. I mean, basically what it is, is it's a story back to Ellison's childhood of a writer who accidentally or gets to go back in time and talk to his young self. And the whole time he thought he was... he His life went sideways because he was mad at his father. And what happens is, is he watches his young, angry self and his father having a hard time trying to control this very rambunctious boy who would have been, like Harlan, would have been, he would have been given medication for ADD. Uh, he had, uh, I'm sure, a host of other issues. Agreed? Well, and Harlan, not out. long before, I mean, shortly after we got to meet Harlan, Harlan was diagnosed as, not overly shockingly, having depression and anxiety issues. Yeah. And I'm sure he didn't just suddenly develop those. In no, his I'm sentence. sure he had him as a child. He's a horrible, probably a horrible child. And he, this writer, in a horrible act, situation. This writer act, befriends this child and ends up breaking this child's heart, and that's what actually sends the child off into all these problems. Yeah. And he did it to himself. Yeah. And it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor for yeah. yeah. I was gonna say, see, see that he did it to him. It's a really good episode. It is, okay. and it's um, that reminds me a lot of Bruce Willis as the kid. Yeah, but that came out way later. Yeah, remember yeah. what we were it talking about? Not as good. And remember when we were talking about ripped off? That man got ripped off several times. Yeah, and he let everybody know that he was ripped yeah. off. Chad, do you, you want good? to tell one of those amazing stories about him pissing somebody off that you've been watching about? <laughs> well, so I, he was a frequent contributor to of Tom Snyder. Tom Snyder had him on his talk show all the time. If you don't know who Tom Snyder is... Tom Snyder. I haven't done the eat the bullet line in a long time because I was told that it was offensive. <laughs> no, um, but eat a bullet. <laughs> no, so Tom Snyder, uh, he had a talk show. It was called Tomorrow back in the seventies. Yeah, um, he had several talk shows. He had several years. talk shows. I mean, the man was constantly um, mm -hmm. doing talk shows, and he eventually became David Letterman's um, after golf, Letterman. A after Letterman, handpicked uh, by Letterman. Handpicked by Letterman for obvious reasons. But um, one episode, it was like the uh, when I started doing my research on Ellison because I don't have the connection that uh, to Ellison that you guys have. I know some of his work in terms of TV and film, but I haven't read books. Yeah. Um, I knew of him, but I started doing research, and um, the first thing I found was an episode of Tomorrow with Tom Snyder, that was with the cast was with the uh, some of the members of Star Trek. I've seen that one. You can watch it on YouTube. With, yeah, yeah, you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, James Doohan, uh, uh, check off. Walter Koenig. Walter Koenig and, and DeForest Kelly. Now, the first 20 minutes is just Doohan 
uh, Kelly and Chekhov. I can't ever say his name. Walter Kane. Walter Kane. Walter Kane. Uh, um, just reminiscing about Star Trek and how wonderful it was. And, and this is one thing that creeped me out was they were actually talking about like schematics of the ship and how like, you know, they were actually in this part of this ship and this is how this ran. And I just kept going. It was three sets. It's not a real ship. Let it go. Oh, some of our audience members may be upset now. Thank you, Chad. Fine. I love Star Trek. I just didn't understand that mentality of talking about the show um, in that way. <laughs> and then here comes Harlan. Harlan Ellison to basically say Star Trek is crap. <laughs> uh, it was a glossed over fantasy of how everything is perfect when it shouldn't be perfect. James, to help me out if I misquote anything. Nope. Um, and then there's a great interaction between, and this is one thing I, I got excited about. I said, James, have you seen this? He said, of course, I've seen it. James I've du seen it too. <laughs> James Doohan and Harlan Ellison getting into it because Harlan Ellison called Star Trek a cop show. And James Doohan said it was not a cop show. And Harlan refused to relent. To the point of where you could see James Doohan gnawing at the bit that he wanted to reach over and grab Ellison and tell him this is not a cop show but he said all it was uh, he said basically all Star Trek was was a uh, was a redone cop show which there was a ton of at the time and there's a ton of to this day and in all honesty I can see both sides of the issue because especially if you look you gotta remember kids this is in when the original series was it yeah there was no next generation there were no shades of gray. The Federation never went in and went, whoa, 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 whoa. Turns out we're wrong. Our bad. Yeah. <laughs> there were no other science fiction shows for the most part. No, no. There was that in Lost in Space and what else? Well, when was Outer Limits and Twilight Zone? That would have been it. And they would have both been off by the time yeah. Star Trek came That's on. That's true. But as far, and as far as trying to so have a... So would have Thriller. Thriller would have yeah. been off by then. Of course, Thriller had much more of a horror bit. Yeah, it was a horror But... I think if you look at it and think about the ongoing, I mean, as far as having, and those were not, those were anthologies, basically. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't a consistent cast. No. They weren't consistent. So Lost in Space and Star Trek having that consistent. But to Ellison's credit, I mean, the Federation was always right. There was never any really shades of gray on that show. They didn't really get shades of gray up until Roddenberry died and they were able to get rid yeah. of, let's be honest, the movies... Yeah. And that was because they basically pushed Roddenberry out of Ow. that. Yeah. Watch Panic on the Bridge. Yeah, a really great documentary. And then once Roddenberry started to get sick, and or was kind of pushed away from that, and kind of lose control. And, and, and really, the Shades of Grey, to me, didn't really even come in, from for the most part, for me, till, uh, till Deep, Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. And it, they have escalated now with, with Discover, um, Star Trek Discovery, where they actually fought. Yes. Where you actually see Starfleet officers saying, "No, you're wrong. No, this is wrong." This is... So that change, but no, and that's so in that way, the Federation was the law, and the law was always right. It was a cop show. Yes, I can also also see though. It's not a cop show. James Doohan saying, "Okay, the cop show at the time was what Dragnet." Let's use Dragnet. It's not thing. Dragnet. Yeah, they were using obscure shows I'd never heard of at the time. Adam Twelve. No, it wasn't Adam 12. Harlan, he, he spouted out a couple that were on air. This was a 1975-76 interview. So this would have been before they ever yeah. did the motion picture yeah. or any of that. And, you know, he even said, he goes, he was ripping on people who went to the Star Trek conventions at that time. And the guy who created the Star Trek convention was right there. And they go, well, why do you go? I go for the money. 
Well, this if somebody, if some, if some, some idiot's willing to pay me for my signature, I'm going to get that money. And you know that what's was funny? Because um, he's a capitalist. capitalist. But you know, the other side of that is John uh, Carpenter is the same thing. Yeah. Well, the other side of that though is if you read, uh, and I don't have it up here, but his original script for Star Trek: The City on the Edge of Forever, which is not what I got. By for the him, way. Harlan Ellison wrote what a lot of people consider. TV guys, let's 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 bounce back yeah. a little bit and say Harlan Ellison wrote maybe what a lot of people consider probably one of my favorite to City on the Edge of Forever, and it's the one that people always remember, yeah. or one of the ones. And, that people and for our listeners who who know just a little bit of Star yeah, Trek, please. what is the no? Somebody give okay. Me. So City on the Edge of Forever, the basically, short version, Jay. Yes. Basically, McCoy, they're around this planet. Notice I was looking at you to give this description. See, I'd be done now if you can stop talking. They're around this planet where they're getting weird temporal waves. McCoy accidentally injects himself with some stuff that makes him go crazy. He jumps through time. He ends up in Depression-era America, where he is saved by Edith Keeler, who is going to... White trash Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, anyway. Um, Why is it Elizabeth Taylor white trash Elizabeth Because Taylor? Uh, this lady is... Uh, Dynasty's lady is obviously white um, trash Elizabeth Joan Crawford. Taylor. Joan Crawford. Her name this is, is, this Crawford. is a callback. That is Joan, not Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford is, is not... Is that the is the not, white man I shrimp. I, <laughs> the white man shrimp. Go you know what I'm referring to. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Point being, uh, <laughs> they go down, they find this the, the Guardian of Forever, which is this portal through time. They jump it back. It talks. It talks, and it says basically, "I've been here since the beginning. I'll be here through the end, and I will always be." They realize that they can use it to get McCoy back. They travel back, and or at first they're going to radio the ship. They contact the ship, and the ship's not there anymore. And they find out that because something McCoy did in the past he reset say, history. Yeah, well, they saved white yeah. trash Elizabeth Taylor. They, well, I love they callbacks. They don't know what it is. <laughs> Finally, they get back, and they, they basically, they don't have jobs, obviously. They have to deal with capitalism. They have to deal with all that stuff. And the fact that Spock's ears. Spock's ears, which are caused by a unfortunate accident with mm-hmm. a rice picker. Um, it's a true line. Look at it. I know. I've seen but the show. He, um, they find out that you basically McCoy. Space 1999. <laughs> yeah, Space 1999 with your, Martin Landau's your. Martin Landau is a white man's no. shrimp. First off, everybody knows who's a true it's sci-fi. Wendy. No, everybody knows that Buck Rogers is the best science fiction show ever. That's the white man's shrimp. I want to get to that in a second. But anyway, uh, turns out McCoy, when he jumped back and sobered up a little bit, he saved Edith Geeler, who Kirk has fallen in love with by this point in the story when they realize it, and Spock has to deliver the line, she must die. By the she, way, if, if he would have ran into Elizabeth Taylor, he would have gladly so thrown her from the car. So she's running like a homeless shelter. She's running she's a homeless shelter. She's a very kind shelter. person. She, she's she helping starts, all these homeless What happens people. is if she lives, she starts a wave of peace movement, peace movement which delays America's involvement, involvement in World War II, which, which causes a host of problems. Which eventually we lose. Yeah. Um, so, which is why the Enterprise wasn't there. They're trapped in this time, so they have to stop Because America's got to conquer the stars, the wagon train to the stars, if you will. And um, what the, the story ends with... Those poor horses didn't um, do too good in space. They didn't do, do good at all. <laughs> they finally catch up with McCoy. The are on his face. Uh, they finally catch up with McCoy, and however you feel about William Shatner's acting, it is one of the most heart-wrenching scenes because mm-hmm. it is Kirk... Who grabs McCoy and stops him, and McCoy has the line, "I could have saved her." You don't know what you've done, Jim. And Spock 
Shatner never speaks. Kirk never speaks. And Shatner just, or uh, Leonard Nimoy Spock goes, oh, he knows, Doctor. He oh. knows. So they let her die. Yes. That fixes time. They go back in time. Now, why? That's a great episode. That's a good story. That's not the way originally Harlan wrote it. He was rewritten by whom? He's rewritten by Gene Roddenberry and by a couple other people had to take a crack at that script. Gene Roddenberry. Who did he hate till the day Gene, Gene Roddenberry Rodden died? Oh, he hated him after he died, and that's what I was going to say. So, if you ever get a chance to read the script, a couple different things are different. He thought McCoy accidentally injecting himself with his own drugs was stupid because no doctor would do that. The original reason they end up on the planet is that they're, they actually have to, for the first time in a long time, have to initiate the death penalty, which the Federation doesn't deal with. And that's one of the reasons Roddenberry didn't like it. He said, we don't need to go that dark. And to Ellison, who was a teetotaler, the one punishment would be if you deal drugs, the Federation will get rid of you. And his, his logic, that made sense. You, you have a non-interference agreement. You're not going to let somebody deal drugs to another planet. And however... Uh, so they catch somebody, and the punishment for that is not death. Actually, it's being marooned. So they find what this, a maroon. They they find this planet no, to right. maroon this this ensign on ensign rookie. I don't know. I name Doesn't it. matter. Go quicker. Uh, beams it down. It turns out the abandoned planet it has the guardians of forever, which is not a big circular sphere. They're beings, mm -hmm. and. They misread his script and saw runes, and as Ellison put it, didn't bother to. They thought he misspelled it, R U N E S. They thought he meant ruins, and they just changed the word. And now, now the other thing too, since we've brought this up, what is the, uh, in Harlan Ellison's opinion, what is the one thing you cannot do with anything that he creates? Oh, you can't change it. You cannot change it. Anything Harlan Ellison creates, you do not touch. That's the way it's supposed to go. That's it. Um, so. The, so anyway, he beams down to the planet, the Guardians send him back, and he screws up time, mm -hmm. and then they have to go back and stop him. Which, by the way, at the same time, too, because he hated Roddenberry so much for doing that to his script, Harlan Ellison worked on the first Star Trek movie, right? He, he pitched it. He, he was, was pitched approached. it. Have you ever heard the pitch? No, he, he didn't tell the, he, the, the interview. He mentioned that he was working with Roddenberry on the movie. He never heard about it. I never heard about the pitch. I can actually tell you the pitch. James, do you know the pitch? I do. Go ahead, though. What well, do you want to finish? Well, real quick. So what happens is they do back. That's kind of the same. But the ending's a little bit different. Instead of McCoy jumping to save her, because McCoy is, is going back with them to save them, instead of that, what ends up happening is she's not going to get, like, they. she's already been saved. And they have to find a way to kill her. And it's Spock that pushes her out in front of the truck. Yeah. So they murder her. Murder her. And which the, was a way better ending. Which and the logic it is, is the reason I, it has to It doesn't Kirk, bother me as bad as it did Elson, but yeah, I didn't Kirk mind it either. Wants to you know, Kirk knows he's supposed to do it, but Spock realizes he's not gonna be able to because Kirk hesitates and Spock walks over and just shoves her. Yeah. And the it, it's logical. He would be it's, it's, right. it's supposed to drive. And so they had all these back and forth. And one of the things that did make it worse was Roddenberry, when he said why he changed it, because Ellison told people he changed my script. I wasn't right. He wanted his name removed from it. Mm -hmm. Ellison was a big deal at the time. And uh, I'll get into that later. But he flew off the handle. I want, I want uh, Cordwainer, what was it? Cordwainer Bird, which basically means making shoes for birds. 
he that's was his pen name when he got angry. He said, I want that on there. They wouldn't do it. And um, Gene Roddenberry, as conventions started to go on, and Ellison was speaking at conventions, Roddenberry started getting up going, well, he I had to change the script. He had Scotty dealing drugs, and he had all this stuff, and uh, Scotty wouldn't deal drugs. None of which was true. Right. And that just drove the way between them. And if you read um, White Wolf Publishing, put out a version of um, Ellison's script. Ellison script, and it has an introduction by Larry Nimoy, an introduction by, I mean, these things setting up, here's what actually happened and all that stuff, Walter Koenig, William Shatner even did one. Um, the funny part about it is that Harlan Nelson has his own thing, and he actually begins it with, they say to speak no ill of the dead. Oh, slightly sorry, sorry, Harlan. F that, let me tell you why he deserves everything he got. <laughs> yeah. And he proceeds to go through, and he actually talks about how he treated DC Fontana and how he he didn't like it when people not only messed with his stuff, but if you screwed with writers, he didn't like you. Right. So yeah. anyway, go ahead. Yeah. The pitch he did. So <clears throat> Roddenberry was trying his best. There was a little movie that came along. So for years, he was trying to get Star Trek Two or Phase Two, right? Phase Two was going to be a TV series. It was going to be a TV series. Was originally going to launch a fourth network called the Paramount Network. network. Which is now an actual network. Yeah. So they tried their best. That kept falling through. He tried to get a movie off the ground because Star Trek was still huge in syndication. And and according to some people, Roddenberry was doing these conventions. He would get up on stage to wild applause. And be, oh, we're bringing it back. You just... And half the time, there was no actual plans to do that. I mean, he was hopeful because he wanted... Money. Yeah, he was a capitalist, too. That was the one thing they both had in common. Uh, the th so... They there was they tried to pitch 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 and then there was a little movie that came about. What was that movie? Battlestar Galactica. Turned out <laughs> Star Huge. Wars. Huge and, and Paramount looks around and goes, "Well, Jesus, we need a Star Wars. What do we got?" They had Star Trek, and one of the pitches was from they they kept pitching. There's nothing was big enough. Nothing was big enough. They brought in Harlan, and Harlan's is as a go to the end of the galaxy. Basically, am I right, James? Yeah. yeah. And they find a wall. And they set the phasers to sassy or whatever, and they yeah. shoot a hole in the wall, correct? Yep. And is God on the other side? Is that what it is? A God. Like, however you want to... Right. Yeah. So he pitches this to all the execs, and... Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, because... and now what Which was, is a great idea. I don't know how you end it. What's funny about that... Well, and that was the thing. I think the ending that he had in mind, if I remember correctly, was they basically meet God, and they and, and God says, effectively... For all intents and purposes, I'm still here, but you have outgrown me. Yeah. You that, now have all this stuff. Harlan was a lifelong atheist. Yeah. Not an agnostic. No, no. The only time he was... carrying atheist. The only time he showed up as somewhat agnostic is, and it's very rarely in public, but there are a few clips of him where he talks about his frustrations with religion. And in those moments, there's a couple of them where you can see... Arguably, he has some faith, but he won't give up his faith in people for that. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. anyway, that was one of the pitches. Of course, they didn't do it. Harlan is known for hitting executives. Harlan yes. was known for screaming. Harlan was also known for, I don't like the word womanizing, because I don't think it's accurate for a lot of people who are just slutty. No, I was about to say, and I, I don't I think... don't. I think that's a negative term. I don't know that that's womanizing, because I meet women and men who are slutty. I mean, it. so I don't, I don't I know that slutty... Lucario. Slutty is not a bad term for me. Well, no, I was about to say, I, I, I don't often think... often liked people who were slightly <laughs> slutty. 
I don't think, though, and this is why I wouldn't say Harlan Ellison was a womanizer, because one of the, like I said, he was equal opportunity in many, many different ways. I don't think he ever, he didn't Weinstein anybody. No, it's nothing like that. He but he didn't. dated a lot of the starlets of the time. Yes. And betted a lot of people at the time. Yes. He was, he was. Never anyone, though, against their will. That's what I wanted, before anybody was like, oh, He's just known for being a Robin, lover around. around Robin Williams does a little song about him, about how everybody loves the Jew. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, uh, he does absolutely. a song Robin about Williams said he had got more kitty than a letterbox. Yeah. Uh, something to that. If you watch another great documentary about Harlan called... Dreams with Sharp Teeth. So, back to what we were saying. He was famous for that. He was famous for also writing one of the best Outer Limits episodes, which was the demon with glass hand. Yes. Right? And demon with the glass hand, the basic plot to it is Robert Culp, who he wrote the role for. I don't know written, that I knew that. It's written for him. And matter of fact, it's a true story. Robert Culp says it in an interview. You can go back and watch this. It's online, I'm sure. Uh, that he, he he said I'd never met Harlan before. I walk on the set the first day, and there's this guy walking around doing this and checking everything to make sure. And he goes, I think for a second maybe he works. Maybe he's a set designer. Maybe he's working on the set. And he looks over and he sees me, and he goes, I wrote this for you. What do you think about that? And he goes, well, Of course, well, I'm honored. This is great. It's a great script. Um, but Demon with the Glass Hand is about a man, arguably. Sent back in time, and he doesn't remember things clearly. He's having issues, and he's got a hand that's glass. It looks glass. It's kind of see-through, and he wears a glove over it, but it's missing fingers. And he, he appears, and all of a sudden, these things start, these people, other people, start showing up to kill him. And he's being chased, and he can't remember, and then he finds one of the fingers, effectively, and he plugs it in, and he gets a little bit of his memory back, and this woman's trying to help him, and it's all this stuff, and they're trying to fight and survive. And when he finally completes the hand, he finds out he's not human. Uh, he finds out that he is a robot that was sent backwards through time. You're going to find out later about how this affects a certain <laughs> James Cameron movie. He was a robot that was sent back in time to preserve humanity, and all of humanity has been encoded on a single wire that's hiding inside him. And his one thing is he has to live because that's the only way to preserve humanity. And he will be hunted. So later on, there was a guy named James Cameron. And he hooked up with this lady named, I can't remember her, uh, of all the ladies, James Cameron hooked up with a lot of ladies. Oh, the producer of The Terminator and Aliens. He was his wife at the time. No, not not Catherine Bigelow. I was going to say Linda Hamilton, but it's not Linda. And Hamilton. not Linda Hamilton. That's another one. Of, yeah, we yeah. named two of the yeah, other we ones. Named two of the other ones. So anyway, there was a movie you guys might have saw. It had Schwarzenegger in it. I don't. Have you guys ever seen it? He goes back in time to kill Sarah Connor. Yeah. Uh, Eraser. Yeah, that's it. Eraser. Uh, so End of Days is basically <laughs> <laughs> Soldier. Did you a... like Junior? Oh man, Red Dawn. Soldier was another one, but real quick, that also was an Outer Limits episode that also, quote-unquote, may have influenced. So, he threw up a fit when Terminator came out, and it wasn't on the original release, but it's on the video cassettes and yes. everything further. And it's in Terminator 2. He gets the credit there, too. Yeah, that it says, inspired by the writings of Harlan Ellison. Actually, he didn't necessarily want money for that. He wanted credit, correct? Yes, yeah, that's true. I don't think Cameron paid him, not to my knowledge. I, they did end up settling out of court, and he got credit. And I think I read somewhere that the studio actually said we need to grease the wheels. Yeah. I don't know what that meant, but um, 
But I do think there was a partially financial. But no, you're right. That was not Harlison's intent. Once he again, credit. give me credit. Give him credit. Always give the writer credit. Credit. I mean, it goes back to the thing that made him the maddest. Don't give the writer credit, and I will come after you. So we've talked about several different things. Should we tell the story of how you met Harlan Ellison? Well, I want to say real we're quick. we're minute 50. I know, I know. But I, I want to say a couple different things about him. One thing that Harlan Ellison's really important <laughs> for, for writers is that story is an indicator of. Um, in the early days of the internet, back when there was this thing called AOL. You mean back when Al Gore created it? Yeah. Shortly after Al Gore... And you Gore, get these discs in the mails. And Al Gore's doing those damn discs. And they were putting that series of tubes together still. And you put your disc down in the tube, I think. Anyway, AOL was the biggest which company stood, on the which planet. Which stood for Al's Oblivion lasers. Nobody knew that they were <laughs> contributing. They'll try that to tell you... That was a bad off the top of your head. They'll, they'll, I know, thank you. They'll try to tell you it's American Online, but that's just a Democratic cover-up. Fake yeah. news, fake news. Fake news, NBC wrote that. <laughs> anyway. Craig Dennis uh, out there watching, ooh, look, the liberal communist media, I'm on the Today Show. Uh, <laughs> all true, by the way. Anyway, all true. Um, but... <laughs> I he hope you saw known, this episode. He was known for suing a lot of people. Harlan Ellison sued people when they... If they took his ideas, if they did anything, I mean, filed a suit not too long before he died because Paramount breached the topic of using the city on the edge of forever as a basis for one of the new Star Trek movies. Yeah. And he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, pay me." Let's t- let me tell us. I know I don't want to get him off track, but I do gotta tell this. Let's story. Go ahead. Is it about JJ? No, well, yeah, no, it's about Harlan Ellison. So, um, what was the book that he wrote? Uh, Dangerous, um, Dangerous Visions. Visions. Dangerous Visions, and then the sequel. Again, Dangerous, Dangerous Visions. Visions. And then do you will know about the, the, the third Oh, I'm well aware of the third one, that literally there are people that have died waiting yeah. for it to come out. So, Harlan Ellison compiled all these stories for part three of this amazing series of books, mm-hmm. and he never released it. He just kept saying that he was working on it. P- people would release... And then there was a couple of writers who's like, I need to get this story out. They released it in another format, and he sued them. Meanwhile, never having any intentions of of releasing this. Why did he not want to release it? He the, just kept coming up with excuses, right? The, well, the thing about it was was as an editor, and he was an award winning editor too. People kind of forget that he edited. I mean, he did it all. But the thing about it was was he oddly enough had that perfectionist mentality. And he kept looking for the story. Mm-hmm. And and if you hear his arguments about it, when he talks about dangerous visions, he's like, I knew I had a complete whatever that was at the time. Yeah. And with, again, dangerous vision, he said, I got two or three stories, and I'm like, oh, we're representing this and this, which we haven't seen in science fiction before. He said by the time it got to the third one, and he had, by the way, 400 different excuses, but the one that he used the most often was he never felt it was there. Yeah. Like he was still missing a story to deal with X or Y or Z. So. And now, as of now, he's gone. That storybook will... And he, there were so many great writers who contributed to this novel that never got released, and we're probably never going to see it because as of 2010, there's an interview with him who said that he instructed his wife upon his death any uh, unreleased manuscripts, she is to burn. Burn, burn. I so knew that, yeah. that is something that we will probably never see unless she, she really hated him, which there's a likelihood. No, no I've met I, her. She's a, she's a nice woman. Uh, well, and I think the other part about that is she's up for I sainthood mean, would, like Mandy Dennis. That um, 
See, yeah. I did my homework for this I know, episode. I, know. No. For you. I think though the uh, never say I'm not a good friend, you jackass. <laughs> I wish you went on with thank, some alliteration thank you, there, jerk face. Um, when anyway. old Doctor Smith, are you cluttering, clinking, clittering? Clint. Harlan's word of the that. one thing that in my invest in my research. Are you going to do the word he invented? I don't know, but this is one word that I kept hearing that bugged the ever-loving piss out of me. Chittering. I cannot stand oh, hearing no, that word, the word one more mind. damn time. I don't know. I just hate that word. Every time he said it, chittering, it just drove I spikes you were say in my bug ears. Fuck. Yeah, that's he the word. The that, term bug fuck. Yeah, I did not anytime know anything went sideways, it was no longer it, sideways. It was bug fuck. No chittering. He just said chittering, and he used it. Three times, I believe, in I Have No Mouth, I Want to Scream. Which is another great story. I must Which scream. is a, I Must Scream, sorry. I will. I listened to it. I listened to it today. Let Listen to Harlan Ellison reading it. He said chittering three times. Go ahead with your stories. I'm um, sorry. So, uh, going back to AOL. AOL, when it first came out, didn't... Owls Oblivion Lasers. Didn't care much about copyright laws. And Harlan Ellison and a bunch of other writers that were big at the time, I think Stephen King was another one, they would put a book out, and literally within two days, somebody would just be like, oh, I typed up the entire book, here it is, you can get it for free. Yeah. Violating copyright laws. And the internet was kind of a wild, wild west at the time. And you had these people that were like, well, it's the internet, you won't be able to track me down. And Harlan Ellison basically hired what would be at the time hackers and all these people and went find them and he as he put it he goes these kids would be hiding out in you know wisconsin or mm -hmm. lower is islip or what and i'd find them and i'd be like now pay me and then when that went side you know they started to be like well it's not our fault but he said fine it's aol's fault they're not watching what you do so if aol's profiting because you're paying them i want my cut of aol mm -hmm. and he did that, and, and he had all the other authors. He had other authors to join him that had been taken advantage of, and really a lot of what affected protections for writers on the internet, again, pay the writer mentality, came from Harlan Ellison and those other writers saying, no, 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 we don't care that this is new technology. You will respect us. And back to that real quick, and the boneheads really do say this a lot. We don't say pay the writer. We say pay the artist. Artist. Whatever. Whether, that be, whether that be what we're doing today whether that Which be we're not getting paid for. No. So if we you talk to sponsor for free, you. feel free to send us a check. But anyway, so do you want to tell the story of how you met him? It's story time with James. Yeah, and I want to. Beep, 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 I want to. I want to tell the story, and then I want to read one of my favorite parts out of this. Never um, lets me play my music. So, let me know when you want me to jump in. Well, I think don't jump. You might hurt yourself or us. <laughs> Because so, you're quite large. <laughs> Harlan Ellison announced um, several years ago, Bug I guess fuck. it would have been what? <laughs> when was this it? would have been 2010 uh, October. Yes, yes. Uh, that he was doing his Why last... Why don't I remember this? Last, I always can't, I can't remember. I it had been early, late September, early October I think it was late September. Oh, 2010. It, was, it was September because it was my anniversary, which is why I was not there. Oh my God, Chad's not in this it story. Cut, Haley, cut. It was my one year anniversary. And you spent it with your lot wife like a chump. And had some strange woman kiss my hand. Harlan Ellison was... We had the same thing. Doing his, was doing his last big con. And by the way, you can go to, I think, the Shag Records, Deep Shag Records. There's a series. He did recordings because he did conventions from the 1960s till this one. 
2010. It was 2010. I, I remember and, it like it was and just. And you can get on the road with Ellison, and it's just where they recorded him doing, and it's great. so you could actually listen to this con. Uh, but he announced it was his last big con. And matter of fact, he made the argument that he, it was the, his last big con in multiple ways. That he was a con artist. It was his final way People to get money. People him, yeah. Um, but I was like, I can't miss this. Um, because up until that point, and I actually have it with me. I stuck it in here. So this was my first Harlan Ellison signature. And describe to the um, listeners what that is, James. This is an Outer Limits card. So the Outer Limits, uh, Rittenhouse, I believe. This is Rittenhouse? Yes, maybe. Uh, Rittenhouse um, is an archive. They started as an archive, but they do collector cards and stuff like this. And they started doing these really cool sets. They eventually got the Star Trek contract. Mm -hmm. But they started with Twilight Zone, and then they picked up Outer Limits. Because it's a card you always want to collect. Hey. I got a 60-year-old Jew. Look. Well, I, had, I, had, I had Dick Tracy collecting cards. That's how I got this. Oh, he's because, a writer. Did it come with gum? Because everybody wanted to buy it because Larry Nimoy was on the Outer yeah. Limits. Harlan, uh, I mean, uh, William Shatner. All these big names. George W. Bush. Um, Prove it. <laughs> Prove that he was on it? Prove that he wasn't. I, 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 Would you finish anyway, the story so we get he, um, This is a long-winded way to get to Madison, Wisconsin. No, no, no. This was my only collectible, though. I had the books, and I had, and I, I saw this online. And the guy that was selling it literally didn't take the time to, at the time, probably Yahoo, who Harlan Nelson was. And he literally put it going, this guy's not an actor. I'm selling this card. That was the eBay listing. And I, I was like, oh, it's Harlan Nelson. And I was like, I'll never get a chance to meet Harlan. Mm -hmm. This will be the only way I ever get a signature. And the guy wanted... Now, other people were selling this card online because there were only so many of them made because Harlan Ellison didn't sign for a year. I think there were a hundred of these mixed in with the entire production series. They were selling for 60, 70 bucks. This guy didn't even put Harlan Ellison's name in the title. Just went Outer limit signed card and you had to search for it, Harlan Ellison anything. This story's way too long to get to Madison. $7.25 I got my first Harlan Ellison. Oh my goodness. So, it'd be funny as fuck if you just started ripping it up. I mean, it'd be horrible. <laughs> it would be really sad when I killed him later this today. I, but I mean, anyway, I um, slightly. But, so I say all that to say, uh, when I heard he was doing his last con, uh, and it was in Madison, Wisconsin, and I'd driven to a friend's wedding that was in Wisconsin, so I was like, hey, I can drive it. I can do it. And I, I, I told Joe, hey, Harnelson's doing one big convention in Madison. And Joe, filled with excitement, goes, yeah, we should go. So, as time went on, I think that was about, uh, it was probably about February that I first found out about it. I was like, oh, great. Um, I tell this part funnier. And, and then, Joe, you were so excited. Here's what happened. <laughs> you want to go to a con in Madison, Wisconsin? I'm trying my best to get out of a certain job at the University of Kentucky to get into any other job. Sure, James. All right, then. I had a lot of disposable income, free time, no kids. Great. Sure, James. Three months later, hey, Joe, I got us tickets for your birthday. Tickets to what? To uh, Madison, Wisconsin. What are you talking about? Remember we talked about it three months ago? Now I have no clue. Oh, remember I got us tickets. Oh, okay. Thanks. Three months later, <laughs> Joe, I got us a rent a car. Rent a car for what? This is all We're going to Madison, Wisconsin. What do you mean we're going to Madison, Wisconsin? We're going to go see Harlan Ellison. What are you talking about? 
Well, you, we had this conversation twice now. I have no recollection of any of that. I have emails where I even said, hey, I went and got tickets. Here it is. I had emailed him all the this information. This is your birthday. And for me, the I was hotel. like, oh, great. I'm getting screwed by James on another birthday. <laughs> the hotel and everything. I got us a hotel. You got us a hotel. Actually, the next one was a hotel. And then it was and then it was a rent a car. I got us a hotel. Hotel for what, James? Every three months. So, until we get there. Was it a hotel, motel? No. Holiday we actually Inn. stayed... We actually stayed on site. One of the few times I've ever done that. Yeah, yeah. Because usually the cons are expensive and we stay someplace else. Yeah. So anyway, so we go up to Madison, Back in the Wisconsin. day before they started taking care of it, before we stopped yeah. paying to go to cons. Yeah. Uh, we go up to Madison, Wisconsin, have a nice drive up, get the KFC double down, hashtag double down. The hashtag double down. The thing that he's forgetting is I finally got a job interview for oh, yes. another job. They said, we'd love to interview, and the reason why I remember all the dates vividly is because we would love to interview you for this phone interview. That's great. When would you like to do it? This Friday. I can't do it this Friday. Why not? I'm going to be going to Madison, Wisconsin. Well, sir, this is the only day we've got. Get on the phone. Start talking to them while James is driving. We're going double down downs. the interstate. We're not holding double downs, but going down the interstate, and the, and the call drops midway through my phone interview. Have to call them back. And I still end up getting an in-person interview out of this. I have no idea how. I looked at James, and James said, I sounded okay to me. Yeah, that's all true. And then they called me that afternoon, and I didn't get it back. I didn't even know about it until that next Monday. We, um, so we get to Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and it was an absolute blast. Harlan Allison told us stories. We got, uh, we stopped at a Chinese place. We'd never been there. Yeah, we got to experience Madison, Wisconsin. If you ever have a chance, it actually is a lot of fun. It's a University fun town. of Wisconsin, Madison. See it's camp, beautiful. beautiful. It's on a lake. Uh, the deli. Uh, um, uh, it's Stella. No, is it Stella? Eliza? Uh, Ella's. Ella's. Ella's deli. It's one of the best Jewish delis, and it's oh, filled great. with old. Wind up yep, actual metal toys, actually. Um, beautiful. It's cool. Tin it's toys. Cool. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. So we did all that. Uh, I got to meet Harlan Ellison. Now, the backstory on this was Harlan Ellison had posted several years ago. He d has a place, uh, the, the Lost Aztec Temple of Mars is what he called his home. It's in California. It was hit by earthquakes. And he had these marble mirrors that you used to get in the 60s and 70s uh, where they took, like, Jack Kirby art, and they put it on a mirror, and they gave them out at, like, festivals and stuff like that. Well, he had the complete set, and the Spider-Man one fell and broke during an earthquake. And I happened to be on eBay, and I found one. And I was like, I'll take it to him. This will be great. I contacted the guy running the convention. Very nice guy. I said, hey, I found this. Should I bring it up? He said, well, let me run it by Harlan. According to him, he said, I ran it by Harlan. He said, yeah, go ahead and bring it. So that's the backstory on that. So I have this mirror... And I'm getting in line. We're going to... And, and Harlan Allison doesn't a lot sit of mean down. Stuff out. Dar no, I was going to say, Harlan Allison does not sit down to sign. So there's this huge line that came to Madison, Wisconsin. Peter David is there. Gene Wolfe, the other science fiction author, great author, is there. I Gene Wolfe. And everybody else is sitting down. We talked to Peter David in line for a long yeah, time. Yeah, Peter David's table is right there, so we're standing in line. There is, there is a great panel discussion on YouTube with Gene Wolfe, Isaac Isimov, and... And that's from Arlen back Nelson. when A&E actually did arts yeah. and entertainment yeah. stuff. Actually was arts and entertainment. entertainment. Yeah. And they, yes, I missed that show. It was uh, Nightcap was the name of the show. Yep. With Studs Turkle. Studs Turkle. F famous oral historian. 
Anyway, continue on. Uh, look that interview. Wish up, my name was Stud. So, so he. Uh, I feel like I would have went further. So we're standing in line. Joe Lewis has kept me behind. <laughs> we're stalking. Uh, we're stalking. We're standing in line. One of us was stalking. We're standing in line to talk to Harlan Nelson to get him to sign some stuff. And Harlan Nelson is getting up. Like he still never sat down. He's going up and down the aisle, yelling at people, doing. He's doing Harlan Nelson stuff. That's what he's, he's doing. He's bitching. That he's getting old when he opened, James is leaving out. He gets up that Friday. This happened on a Saturday. That Friday night, I never met the man. I'm in shorts. I forget that Madison, Wisconsin in late September is not as warm as Lexington, Kentucky. So I froze my balls off for three days because all I packed was shorts and, and shorts. I was shirts. perfectly comfortable. Yes, yes, yes. Later on, as the women were screaming at him as we got trapped in Madison, Wisconsin on football day in the middle of all the street. Because, the Joe, it was indeed game, game day. day. bitches. Yeah, that's not what she said. But no, anyway. It was worse. He screams he's dying. He knows he's dying. He pulled him off his deathbed to come do this last con and all these other things in the night before. And I'm just sitting here. I'm just loving it because... He's this is bad yeah. shit nuts. Oh yeah, he says tail. bug fuck. No offense, I know we've said it. I say bad shit. He's bad shit nuts. Um, but so, nuttier and squirrel shit, as you would say. So he has mm. never sat down. And these, there's a line. There's an attorney behind us. There's an attorney in front of us. You were I'm talking sorry. about the one with yes. the drink, who's a nice looking lady who we've got to know over the weekend because we've stood there and who traded bards with I back and forth. Yeah, right. Yeah. She and I, we got into it over an auction over. Where's it at? That Rolling Stone issue signed by Carrie Fisher's Star Wars. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's Carrie Fi And then you also, did you also get the one signed by Debbie Reynolds? He threw it in with it. Yeah, yeah, we got into it over me winning that auction. Yes. Mm. So he stops in front of us, and she had been flirting with the owner, and he went and got her a beer while we were standing in line. And she tells Harlan this story. And Harlan says, that makes you a whore. <laughs> yep. Right? Yes. But then my favorite her part world is... was made complete by Harlan Ellison calling her a whore. If he would just sit down and sign, he would be done. Or did we run... Which one ran out? Or we still keep okay. going? If he sits down, we'd all be done. Oh, yeah, yeah. James says the line goes on for the attorney. Really, it's only about 100 people. It's about 100 people. Because it was could, a small con. They it was a small con. And they only sold so we many tickets. We had dinner with his editor. We had dinner. Yeah, we did basically sit there. It was a pretty good dinner. So, uh, that's the night he told me to drink some sugar because my leg was going Harlan Ellison. Yeah. But he, anyway, I he was going up and down trying to sell stuff, correct? He was selling because his, his which now is was in his last collection, Can and Cantankerous. Yeah. Um, but, uh, behold, there is a tiny man. Um, it just came out in Fantasy Magazine or whatever. And he was saying, you buy it. And Joe says, hey, James. Watch this, and we all know what's going to happen. And Joe, what happened? Uh, pretty what much right now, it's the equal to the meme here. Hold my beer. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. I said he's trying to sell these things. You won't sit down, and he's and I said, well, I'll buy the son of a bitch if you'll just sign this. He tells me to go do things to my anatomy. Yes, and that's he told me to go fuck happened. myself. So Harlan Ellison yeah. told me to go fuck myself. So he goes back, and he finally we buy the magazine. Right. You buy the magazine. I bought. Um, they had a only at that convention book. I bought that. A hardcover book. It's really nice. And then they had a... Um, because he, at one point, wasn't going to make it to the convention. He was sick. He was sick. Really, he, he was uh, dealing with depression. Is what yeah, it was. yeah. But he had had a cold and his depression and all of that stuff. And he got better and he came. But they had pre-signed some... Um, oh, where well, you put them in the book. Uh, Bookmark? No. 
Where it's a sticker, basically. And that, they were at least going to give those out. But since he was already there and he was going to, well, he was going to sign, um, they were, if you bought one of his books there, one of his hardcovers that he carried with him, he would give you one. So you got a, a, yeah, an yeah, extra yeah. signature. And I bought a couple of those. Uh, there's a great book called Minefields that he did with a painter, I believe a Spanish painter, where he painted really like cars as dinosaurs, and he would make up stories. Yeah, about they're them. beautiful. And they're cool. Uh, so I got that. I never had that one before, so I went and got it. That being said, we bought this stuff. Uh, he finally gets, stops us, and he says After he called the attorney a whore. Yes. After and he told me to do things to myself. I have the mirror I'm going to give him, and I have... He wrote a Daredevil comic book. Um, and I'm like, that's... I, cause I, I had all my books, and I thought, oh, God, I would have him sign. And I wish I would have done like that one guy that was there. So when we first got there, he said, I'm signing for this man first because he's offered me $20 per book. And he had stacks of them. Mm -hmm. And I just wish I would have went, here's 60, sign my three books. But I was like, well, I have this one Daredevil comic book. And my plan was always to have it signed by him and have it signed by Stan Lee. And I've accomplished that now. Um, but you got that gun, Harlan <laughs> Ellison. Yeah, I'm done. It's ended. Can Makes I have it. that comic book? <laughs> no, go to hell. Um, he didn't sign it to James. No, no. Excelsior, bitches. Uh, Harlan uh, Ellison, after <laughs> signing Joe's magazine uh, and telling Joe what he can go do to himself, I say uh, I, I start to stutter because I literally Harlan Ellison was you, my living you hero. You freaked out. I did. I couldn't speak, and I was like, not bad, but you got no, no. I was. It's one of the only times though where I couldn't recover. And he went to sign something else. It's like James, don't you want him to sign your comic yes. book? Correct. Yeah, and I, I was trying I to said, be well, a buddy. I also have this for you. And he took the Spider-Man mirror and he looked at it, pulled it out, looked at it, wrapped it back up, put it down in the thing. Put the close the box that it was in because I had it all packed up in a box, and said, "What the hell am I supposed to do with this? I am dying. I am dying." And then he takes this mirror. I told the box. guy that I didn't want this. Yeah. Right. I told him I didn't want this, and I was like, "Well, I, I have an email where," and he goes, "I don't care," and he starts to hit me repeatedly in, in the stomach. stomach with the mirror. True story. And then... Tighten up. Tighten up! I was say, I wasn't tightening up. I, was, I, was, I wasn't actually flinching enough. And he starts screaming, tighten your stuff. Tighten it up. Yeah. Tighten it up. He's a five foot five seventy year old man at this time. He And he's hitting me. Like, he hits me for 20. And I'm torn between laughing, probably crying somewhere in there, and thinking, oh my God, this is my story. Yeah. This is my Harlan Ellison story. And it's a good one. I have... I was physically struck by my idol. With a Spider-Man mirror. I mean, there's doesn't get and any then, weirder. He takes my comic book out. He pulls out the sheet, which is funny, because you can tell he's a comic fan, because he doesn't jerk it out. He's like... Yeah. You, sir, are a ghoul. <laughs> any, you, where are you from? Kentucky. Yeah. yeah, where are you from? Kentucky. You grove... From Kentucky. You drove, not Grove. Yeah, you drove from Kentucky to Madison, Wisconsin to have me sign your comic book. And I am at death's door. You, sir, are, are a, a ghoul. ghoul. And he 
but once gently puts it back <laughs> closes it hands it back to me and storms off down the line I never talked to his I think he and, no he talked to me that night is when he berated me for doing this yeah you and, need to have it's, you, you have some sugar have some sugar and by the way I'm a fat ass tell, <laughs> tell the fattest guy in the room of a bunch of other people who are obviously fat have he, more sugar he, he's but what's funny about that is we weren't at the front of the line. He never did sit down. He st- we were still standing, and he was just we going just up and down the line. You and I, after you got your comic, book yeah, after I got it signed, I was like, "This is per." I mean, it rem- and and God, the comic book is cool. And I have had Stan Lee sign it. As a matter of fact, Stan Lee, when he signed it, looked in the corner, saw Harlan Austin's signature, and went, "Harlan signed the best place," and signed it across the top because there's one part of it the slider, and you can see the signature better. Yeah. And that's where Harlan signed. And, and the then thing- you got Jack Kirby. Oh, oh. Jack Kirby didn't do the art. Prick face. <laughs> <laughs> and the cool thing of it is, is he goes, well, actually, it was it was written by him and another guy, and he goes, I, I just gave him credit so he could get some money out of it. Yeah, I'm he needs some money. Yeah. He needs money. Time that was the other part of it. Um, so uh, we had a great weekend. We met a lot of oh, interesting yeah. folks. We actually left early that Sunday. He was going to talk again, but I don't know what else craziness he could have no, done we, after three days and of, that's, of dinner, lunch, the dinner the night before. Yeah, and just... I mean, it was. It was the every, most interesting thing. I think one of the most interesting. It was everything I wanted it to be, and other people were like, "Well, he was your hero, and he hit you." And I'm like, "That's God. That's the dream." When we tell people that story, they often go, "Why he assaulted you?" But the thing is, is I just read Burt Reynolds' autobiography, and when he met uh, uh, Frank uh, Capper, no, Sinatra. And he actually, I won't tell the whole story of what Sinatra did, but obviously it was a crazy, batshit Sinatra story. And then once it happened, he got up and said, where are you going, Bert? He goes, I have my Sinatra story. It's not getting any better. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 drove home. So, and I know we're going... Same thing. You're never... It is. It's a batshit Sinatra story. Well, and and a little Mm -hmm. bit of a follow-up on that. He, Harlan Ellison, as being a speculative fiction, science fiction author, as much as he was, didn't like computers. And his, at the time, his wife still used dial-up. Um, and so she ran a message board that he would occasionally tell her what to post. And it was about four weeks after the convention, I got on there and I was like, hey, uh, thank you for coming to the con. That was everything I wanted it to be. Thank you. I was the guy that brought the Spider-Man mirror. And he posted back. Uh, it said, Susan, Harlan says, thank you. Sorry about that. He's looking downward like a, 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 a bad dog or something. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then later on, I wrote him a letter. And he wrote me back. And, and that that was one of the coolest things ever because he said, you know, you, it was it was typical Harlan. He called me a mensch. He said, you're a real mensch. And you're obviously not like one of those troglodytes that only can communicate in 140 characters at a time. And I was like, "That's it. I've got, I've got both sides of Harlan now." I've but you ra- wrote him to give him credit for something, right? That... Yes, he in the convention. And by the way, I never did get exactly the answer. He never told me, and I'm gonna have to buy the recording to find this out. At the convention, um, he was talking about how he was getting older and he was going to die. And at the time, he was sincerely worried who's going to take care of Susan, because one of the things, and I've Peter David actually had to do a GoFundMe recently. Um, Diane Dewan, who is another science fiction author, because what people don't understand, there's no health insurance, people. You have a stroke, you have a heart attack, you're dancing without a net. 
unless you're George R. R. Martin, who now has HBO money, yeah, one accident and you could be done. And he was worried about what's specifically these people who were not in the writers' guild, like the yeah. screenwriters guild, for things. You're not unionized. You're writing novels. You're writing short stories. You're writing books. There is no insurance for you, not no. unless you're buying it, and it's pricey. And and so Harlan Ellison was sincerely worried about that at the time, and and he said when he was on stage, he was like. I'm having to come to terms with the fact I'm getting older. I don't have to like it. But as so-and-so, and I can't remember the name, death is a wall that won't take whitewash. And I sent him a message going, who said that? He wrote me back this very nice letter. Still didn't tell me who said it. So I, I'm, I'm going to have to buy that. And I want it anyway because I was there. I want to be able to play those and listen to them again. But that being said, I know we're going long. Harlan Ellison. We have more stories about that weekend, too. Back with me and the drunk whore bidding over a Star Wars Rolling Stone. And I've got, by the way, I've got something even cooler. I've got a... uh, If you run into us at a con, we'll tell you. Yeah, I've I've got a a, a bill signed by James Earl Jones. That's great. Uh, Felicia Rashad. Anyway, um, I say all that to say Harlan Ellison was, without a doubt, I I, I came to terms, since he's passed, these past two weeks-ish, I've been thinking about it. Literally, he was my living hero. Um, the world for me is is less of a place now, and the reason for that, and it's not nobody call anybody. I'm fine, but I think Harlan Ellison. Yeah, ha <laughs> You'll never get your inheritance now, Thaddeus. I was going to split half. I thought shit. you called him fatty. I'm like, <laughs> whoa, it's getting harsh. I thought you said it's fatty. Why would you? He's not that. Why would you even say that? I don't know. You're being a dick. I literally, that's not a joke. I thought that's what he said. Anyway, um, Harlan Ellison was, so I didn't have the best experience in school. I didn't have anything. And I, I think back to this, and when I read it, and then I read what he wrote on Star Trek, and I read they didn't, and I was a huge Star Trek fan. I am a huge Star Trek fan. And I read they didn't like Star Trek. And most of the time, that would have turned me off. But for some reason, I'm like, no, he's right about too much else. And I started to read about him. And yes, he was this crazy character. But at the same time, um, one of the things, he didn't promote the good stuff that he did. He did it because it was the right thing to do. There's a story about, uh, in the 80s, when this was less common, about a kid that had cancer and having to go to school and being bald and all that stuff. And... Um, because of that, the teacher shaved her head. It was a female teacher. And then the entire class did it. Mm-hmm. Just to support this kid. And he found out about it. And he made a donation or did something to help the school. Because he was so touched by that. And he didn't tell other people he did it. He didn't. There was something about him going, that's just right. And and so you hear those stories. This is something actually my dad taught me. And and if you go back and read people who think he was so harsh, go back and read his eulogy for Theodore Sturgeon. Theodore Sturgeon was another science fiction writer. They lived together for a while when Harlan was having trouble. Harlan was married five times, divorced four, and he didn't have places to go sometimes. And he talks about people that would buy him dinner, just say, hey, Harlan, come stay with me for a while. Theodore Sturgeon was one of those. And, and he tells stories about... You know, Theodore, he was trying to get something out and he needed something. And Theodore Surgeon gave him $200. And he said, I found out later that was that was Ted's advance on his next book. And that's all he had. But he gave it all to me. And and he said when, when he died, he called me shortly before he died. And he couldn't breathe well. And, he, and I said, Ted, you're going to outlive us all. And he goes, Harlan, no. 
He said, I have one request. I want you to write my eulogy. And if you read that eulogy, the amount of pain Harlan Ellison shows, because he lost a friend, but he also just can't believe he lives in a world. And that's kind of how I feel without Harlan here, because he did so much different stuff. And one of my favorite stories by him is this one. And you're not going to find it. Approaching Oblivion. It's called Eco-Awareness. It's all of three pages. And the entire plot of the story is the planet Earth comes alive. It's been alive the entire time. And it's sick of the people living on it that are making noise, that are ruining everything for everybody else. So it just decides to start killing everybody. And it's hilarious. It is a laugh-out-loud story. And that became M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. Close. Um, Are you going to read this? No, the other one I do want to say is there's, he does a great, hilarious, kind of romantic story called Prince Michigan and Hold the Relish. Um, but this is, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is a couple pages and we will go way over time. We already, we already are. are way over time. Shut up. Haley's um, just like, go. <laughs> so, Harlan Turn around, this comes out Sunday. <laughs> um, Harlan Nelson, uh, this was written in 1974, so Nixon and all of that stuff. And he talks briefly about, um, he gets a letter because he wrote an op-ed piece about what a tragedy it was that Kent State happened. And if you don't know Kent State, the National Guard opened fire on students and killed some students. And he gets a letter after he said it was wrong. And I'm going to read the, this little section and I'm going to read his closing. Uh, occasionally I get a letter that gives me pause. Mr. Chambers' letter was one of those. If I didn't know purely on instinct that he was running off jingo phrases that he'd swallowed whole if i didn't know he was wrong purely on good instinct or by association with student movements for 10 or more years the uh, the reopening of the kent state massacre case by the attorney general would convince me it's too easy merely to disregard a letter like that and say what an asshole but consider the letter it isn't illiterate it isn't rancorous it isn't redneck written on toilet paper it is a simple, polite, straightforward attempt to straighten out what the correspondent takes to be incorrect thinking on my part. One cannot dismiss this kind of letter. It is from an ordinary human being speaking about extraordinary events and genuinely believing what he writes. Chamber really does believe those poor innocent kids were communist tools who deserved to die. Now that scares the piss out of me. And he goes on, and like I said, I don't want to read it all, but he goes on to talk about what has happened. Um, and, and what, originally when this book was licensed in 1970, he was going to write about how we could change the future. He said after that event and after reading that letter, he changed it. And this is how he ends up changing it. As for the future, well, I'm brought in mind of a quote by Albert Camus. Real generosity toward the future lies in giving all to the present. And the present is being ripped off and screwed over by the omnipresent philosophy of I'm all right, Jack which is a working-class Englishman's term for screw you, baby, I've got mine. It's your future, and you don't seem to give a royal damn what happens to it. So the Ellison who writes this is a little more calloused and tougher than the one who went to Selma with King in March of 1965. Less hopeful and prone to sweeping Gardeloose. That's a word for you, Chad. Gardeloose. The Ellison sitting here now is an older version of the kid from Painesville who stopped trying to buck the tide of bigotry and stupidity and merely cut out to find the rest of the world. Had I done this book in 1970, as originally planned, you'd find it uh, in the space a clarion call for revolution, a resounding challenge to the future. But it's four years later, Nixon time, and I've seen you sitting on your asses mumbling about impeachment. I've gone through ten years waiting for you to recognize how evil the war in the NAM was. 
I've watched you loaf and lumber through college and business and middle-class complacency, pursuing the twin goals of happiness and security. What fools you are, happy, secure corpses you'll be. You're approaching oblivion, and you know it, and you won't do a thing to save yourselves. As for me and you in this literary liaison, well, I've paid my dues. Now, I'm going to merely sit here on the side and laugh my ass off as you sink into the quagmire like the triceratops. I'm going to laugh and jeer and wiggle my ears at your death throes. And how will I do that? By writing my stories. That's how I get my fix. You can OD on religion or dope or war or toad burgers for all I care. I'm mm. over here watching you and giggling and saying, this is what tomorrow looks like, dummy. And he goes on a little bit longer, basically saying that things aren't going to improve. And as I reread that, I reread it about once a year, I sometimes think that he was more right than he knew. Um, but I also know that if you read the other stuff that he wrote, he was always hopeful we could do better. And what made him angry and what made him the writer he was, was when we chose not to do it. And that's our Harlan yeah, episode. Rest, Harlan in, Nelson. rest yeah. in peace, Harlan. I'm sure you're up in heaven. Arguing with God about why the Bible's a hack. Job. Why would you do that to an atheist? <laughs> I know. I was. You were just pissed him off. I you know. know what's funny is I, I will say this in a little bit of a lighter note. Somebody, uh, a, a science fiction author, and I'm blanking on who it is, so I'll, I'll try to give credit and we'll, I'll, I'll comment underneath this on Facebook with credit. But said, if there is a better place, I, and said something similar to you. I'm sure Harlan's there having a good time arguing about things that didn't need to be argued about, but doing so very well. <clears throat> All right. Well, this episode went a little long. Sorry, sorry, Haley, about editing it later. This was Harlan Ellison. Thank you so much for all the great entertainment, sir. And enjoy your toad burgers. Absolutely. And your chittering. <laughs> this is a bit chillin'. Thank you. Ba, 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 ba. Have you tried Greek yogurt? Roll credits. <laughs> Listen, Jamie Lee Curtis wants you to get that up. When Jamie Lee baby. Curtis wants to fight Michael Myers and have you live a good 60-year-old pooping life, <laughs> you're going to have to get one of those fecal transplants like Phil got. <laughs> oh. Poop storm. Poop storm. Oh, I need to turn my phone down. Yeah, do, do we need to start this all? I no, think we I do. don't think. I think oh. we've got plenty for the after credits. <laughs> Grrrr! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>